0: Welcome to The Bootstrap Founder, episode 250. Wow. Today, I'm talking to Amanda Gutz, marketer, creator, educator, and all-around inspiring person to be around. Amanda shares her insights about the importance of rest and how the hustle culture around us has been eroding a more nuanced and balanced approach to building a legacy. We chat about monetizing in the creator economy, what it means to find a niche and then stand out in it, and if she's writing a book or not maybe? (laughs) A quick shout out to our sponsor, Acquire.com. More on that later. Now, here's Amanda. Amanda, thanks for being on the show. You very recently quit your job to become a full-time creator. How did you know that that was the right time to make that move?
1: Yeah, so about a year ago, I sold my startup, which I had been doing for a few years, and that was started during the pandemic, which was very much like survival mode, fight or flight. I was, you know, homeschooling three kids going through a divorce and started my startup. So, you know, there was a lot going on at the time and I sold my company and really out of, and, and the sale was not like this crazy lucrative sale. Like it was truly like the right move for the company, the right move for me. And I needed stability Ability, and that's what I was looking for. So I took the first real job opportunity that came across my plate. And it was an amazing opportunity um, to just kind of sit back and do some work. But like there wasn't a lot of growth opportunity. It was just a VP of marketing position. It was it was great. Um, and I did that for eight months. But three months in, I said to my therapist, it's like, I forgot how I can't work for other people. <laughs> And I also forgot how I can't work for large companies because I am used to like execution and shipping something and learning and moving. Like I've been a founder now twice and the, all the like red tape and, and politics, like just I don't mesh well with it. And so that kickstarted this conversation of, well, what are my values for this next season of life? And I realized autonomy and and financial freedom were were big ones, but also connecting with people. And, and I have a lot of things that I love talking about and I want to connect with people on a deeper level. And so that started to lead into well, what does it look like to be a content creator? Now I'll be the first to say, like Justin Walsh just tweeted this and I was like, now nah, you tell me. He's like, Don't quit your job unless you have like all your <laughs> revenue streams lined up. Right. And so i am a cautionary tale but i feel like i have enough proof of concepts um maybe some little bit of product market fit given my audience but i've never monetized my audience i've never actually figured out how to so there's gonna be a lot of learning here but uh we're going to see
0: what happens. <laughs> well, I'm excited to, to watch that journey because you're sharing it in public too, which is kind of part of the creator life, right? You're going to have to build your creator brand in public and you're doing this pretty well. Interesting that you haven't thought about monetization before, or at least not, you know, like enough to warrant yeah. having validation there. Um, so so what exactly did you have in mind in terms of like what kind of content to create if monetization wasn't a goal? Like what did you actually want to do? Who did you want to help?
1: So it's interesting. Everybody that I talked to over the last couple of years, when I told them, you know, I want to start a newsletter, I want to write about kind of being the antidote to hustle culture because that's really what I believe in. I believe that, I mean, look, I'll share t- very transparently part of the reason that led to my divorce is my my partner he's a very ambitious person but that was his priority and and i was home with the kids and it was it was very imbalanced and i think that you know he would probably say the same thing that he's the divorce forced him to realize like he was imbalanced and he's an amazing dad and their kids now, the kids now have their dad 50% of the time and he's very present with them. And I just think that so many people wait until this wake up call happens to rebalance. And I just really feel passionately about that. So that's what I want to talk about. What's everybody kept telling me is like, When you go broad, that's so hard to make money. You need to stay in your lane, your niche, where you've built your audience, which I've built my audience as being a CMO and and building brands and marketing. So as I step into this creator world, I'm balancing those two things, what I'm passionate about and what my expertise is in. And, And that's where I'm playing and figuring out is Is it an and not an or? and I think that I'm starting to tiptoe into how to make that work.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah the stay in your lane conversation, that's been something that I've uh, experienced a couple times before, and it always sucks, right? When people tell you to to not move into to another field. like did, did you kind of I can only tell tell you from my own experience here, I guess, but I had to give myself permission to yeah. become a creator. How was it for you?
1: Yes. Yes. Full yes. (laughs) The the idea, two things I've had to work through, taking up space and believing you deserve that space. And this is now something that I, I write about. I call it Cringe Valley, where you are in this valley where you feel just like, oh, this is yucky. I'm talking about myself. This just feels gross. And then slowly you start to like climb out of this valley and realize like, oh, by me saying this thing connected to this person and gave them the motivation or the permission themselves to do this thing, and so you slowly climb out of that. That's number one. And then the second thing that I'm still working through, which is the whole taking people's money for this thing, and really like I, I've been working with this this guy who works with a lot of content creators, and he said to me, he's like, "Do you believe what you say is valuable?" I'm like, of course, like that's why I I do it. I, I think, you know, people find value in it. He's like, then why don't you believe that in like your core that it has value, like monetarily? You put emotional value on it, but not monetary value. And so I think that as a creator, you have to kind of do more of that internal work that gets you prepared to do the like external stuff.
0: Is there anything that you can share with me? Because I struggle with that too. Like finding value in the work that I do. I know it's valuable kind of, but I don't want to put a number on it. Like how how did you work that through internally?
1: One is just watching other people charge for things that you know, you have so much more experience and value. And, and, and it's truly just saying like, someone is going, if they're looking for this, they're going to go to someone. Do you believe that you can solve their problem uniquely or more empathetically or just like adding more value? And if you do, you're doing them a service because they're go if they are looking for how to build a personal brand or how to start a newsletter, whatever it is, they're gonna go find it. Someone's going to deliver it to them. Why not you? And that's the part that's like, oh yeah, why, why can't that be me? And kind of giving yourself that space base to kind of step into it and expand and say, I deserve, I have this experience. I've been doing this for now 20 years. Like I can teach something to somebody that's looking for it. So I think it's that whole like push versus pull. Like I feel icky when I'm like, just like pushing something to some people. But if somebody's looking for the thing I'm providing, then I'm meeting their need, which is just a different reframe for
0: me. Mm. Yeah. So the demand kind of mindset, I think like uh, Justin Jackson talked about like surfing the wave of existing demand, right? Like if there's yeah. something out there, you people want it and you have it. Why don't you give it to them? And why right. don't you give it to them in a compensatory way? That but, an, that's an interesting way to think about this. Uh, and, yeah, and I think that the problem with, with my experience, and I think with a lot of other creators or people who are kind of more aspirational creators, is that they just think that what they know is not enough. Right, that there's this kind of uh, everybody already knows that. How do you fight that? Because uh, people have been talking a lot about taking breaks and productivity being a balance and that kind of stuff. But I know you, I know you have a unique perspective. But how do you know that you have a unique perspective?
1: Well, I think part of it is also just understanding that it's 2023, and we've been now on social media, like are there that many unique perspectives <laughs> and and that's honestly like maybe this is a contrarian take but like i have a thousand books around my house you open them up they, it's all just a different flavor of the same meal and figuring out what your flavoring is and saying i don't i can serve the same meal it's just going to have a different flavor what is that flavor your flavor might be you have a different experience set, you have a different personality set, Um, you have a different life scenario. Like those can all be your seasonings to your meal, but it might still be the same chicken that everybody's serving. So I, I think getting past the fact that you have to cook like a steak and serve it to everybody when everybody's serving chicken.
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a really, really great way of expressing this. Like there, there's nothing wrong with being an alternative to something that already exists because there are people out there that are unhappy with the thing as it exists right now right yeah. like the that's what you like with the i think like peter levels had this wonderful tweet recently where he had uh, like 20 books that all kind of looked the same and they were all like productivity books and they they all kind of had the same message but each one of these books is the perfect version of that thought for somebody in that audience someone. right
1: like who i will speak to about productivity will be so different than how matt gray will speak to someone about productivity and Matt Gray may rub somebody the wrong way, and that person will gravitate towards me. And I may rub somebody the wrong way, and they'll gravitate towards Matt. Like it's it's a very real thing where you're going to find the people that you resonate with, and it's totally okay if you're still like. There's so many people talking about productivity. A lot of people could say, Amanda, you're literally talking about. It's like, well, my unique scenario is like I'm a single mom. I have three kids. I've, I've you know, launch two companies and I do it all while trying to like maintain and not burn out. So I think that that's my flavor and that might not be for everybody.
0: Yeah. And and it, it is very specific, right? The, the overlapping Venn diagram of all the things that you are, there's like five different things overlapping in one person. That's you. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know anybody like you. <laughs> who is talking about the things that you talk about, right? So that that makes you like just stand out by design by overlapping all these different parts of your identity, which is why I find it so interesting that people warn you against going broad. You're not like you are still specific, right?
1: Yeah, I it, it's interesting because there's this like productivity angle, but then there's the CMO marketing angle, and and let's just like let's get into maybe a little bit of semantics here with like, like newsletters, finding a sponsor who wants to talk to marketers is so much easier than saying, (laughs) well, I have a bunch of people who are kind of type a high performing people that are looking to not burn out. Like it's just a little harder to find that like one-to-one with a sponsorship. Whereas like B2B There is a lot of money in the space. There's a lot of SaaS companies trying to get in front of marketers. So it's an easier sell. So I do agree with everyone that said that to me. They said the fastest path to monetization will be for you to stay in a marketing niche. But at some point your niche caps out where you watch people who they've been in a niche for so long and they're trying to like add now a new vertical to their, to their offering. So It's just a matter of, like, which positioning you want to take in your entry point. Now, like I said, I think I'm going to, as I step into this world, I've got the newsletter. It's my, like, path. It gives me so much energy to write every week. I love it. But I'm going to have to also figure out, like, my monetization structure around marketing. And so that's going to be probably the and,
0: Well, yeah, as a as a creator, you will very quickly have to figure that out to become profitable with that. But that's the fun part. I feel like I honestly, my journey with the the blog and the newsletter, the podcast and whatever has been just trying out different things, seeing which ones work and writing has been always enjoyable writing books like is is that something in your future to actually like turn your regular cadence of writing into something more tangible that can be monetized is that a plan is it yes. somewhere there
1: <laughs> yes um so yes i will share some news very soon um but yes so you heard it here first that that is definitely something in the works learning the book process mm-hmm. Holy moly. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. You, like, it's definitely always been a bucket list thing. I love to write. I love to, like, story tell. But, spoiler alert, you're not doing that for money. Like <laughs> yeah, no. No. This is truly, like, a passion-led thing yes. that you believe you want. You have a unique thing aspect to, to tell. But, yeah, I was in New York last week. Um, I, I submitted a proposal about a month ago and met with – three literary agents and and i'm doing that whole process right now
0: (laughs) yeah that's fun i've i'm in the proposal stage for my third one right now like i'm working okay
1: we need to chat yeah i think we need to what like what's your biggest piece of advice as i head into so i did the like mini proposal to get an agent got an agent secured love my agent um and then now head into for anyone that doesn't know it's like they told me like a four to six month proposal process That's so bad. And that you got to get this thing buttoned up to sell to a publisher. So, what advice do you have about that, like proposal process?
0: Well, it's it's also the very first time that I'm in that process, even though I've already written two books. The first two that I wrote were self published, gotcha. so I've skipped all of this. So gotcha. my advice is, I'm not going to give you any advice because <laughs> I'm I'm not going to uh, tell you <laughs> You're something.
1: Both going to be like, wait, <laughs> what is happening?
0: <laughs> that may, maybe the the piece of advice that I can kind of you know like just ricochet have ricochet off me from the people that I talk to who've done this a couple of times in the past is just be extremely patient and don't expect this to go like fast or at all, right? This is a multi-year process. The writing part comes at a super late stage, which is the exact opposite of my experience from writing the other two books because I wrote them first. And then I was like, Huh, I've books now. I should sell them. <laughs> then I then I sold them, so right? That's how it worked for me. So yeah, it's I'm, completely I, different now. I'm
1: learning so much about this whole process. Like I'm a marketer, so I think about the hook first, how I would take it to market, what's the like angle. And they were like, "Oh no, you'll write the title last." And I was like, "Oh. Okay. Like it's just a whole different Ball game for sure, but okay. We'll 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 keep sharing our tips along.
0: Let's just keep keep roasting the process. That is so weird. So (laughs) weird. Trying to enjoy the weirdest part in all of this to me has been how um, almost analytical they are looking into the the prospects of a book. Like, what does it compare to? What sold a lot? Can you write a book just like this? Like, it's such a weird. I mean, it's also kind of a demand forward Mm -hmm. thinking, right? Like, they think, okay, this is selling. Business. We need to write something that works like this. In many ways that's actually quite smart compared to I have this big book idea, let me write it, but yeah. it's it's very different.
1: They it, it's I went in thinking, you know, I wanted to write a book for men and women. Then they get into the stats and they're like 80% of women or 80% of buyers of this category are women. And I'm like, "But yeah, but my audience, my audience is pretty balanced." and i'm like well i don't want to just talk to women but they're like it's going to sell better and and like it's going to have a better hook and an angle and easier for publishers to like fit it in so it's really fascinating the business side of books and how the way i've i've had to like frame it in my mind is that i'm going to show up with clay and then agent publisher editor like they will shape it into what it's going to become <laughs>
0: Which for a creator feels like giving up all your agency to somebody else, right?
1: It's really interesting. Like (laughs) we'll have to do like a check-in, like a part two podcast when we get, (laughs) because the other like analogy that I keep feeling is like, it's like going to VCs, like going Mm -hmm. to a publisher. It's very much like you have to know what they care about, know what they are, like their thesis is and what's going to sell. And then there's this like hype thing. And I did this with the agents too, where um, the I got contracts from the first two agents, or no, I got contracts from the second two. Um, I met with three. So two and three gave me contracts. One was still like, mm, I I need to like, I need to understand the angle a little bit more. And then that person was following along on Instagram and saw like all, I was like going to a lot of meetings. And then they followed up and then wanted to give a contract. And I was like, this is just like VCs. Like, it's just hype and momentum and they don't want to miss something. So it's all a game.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is something that, uh, and and that's kind of the the topic I want to pivot this conversation to because it's really important to me. It's kind of interfering with authenticity. Right, Like the fact that you have to play that game to be able to get that contract, to lend the well, measly funds that you will get paid in advance. <laughs> right, That's ho- <laughs> a
1: whole other thing. <laughs>
0: right. And then hopefully you'll sell enough to even make that work. But yeah, besides the monetary hilarity of, of uh, s- selling your first book, it feels like you have to give up a lot of your agency as a creator, but also of your like just authentic behavior to be able to play that game with these people. And that's something that I battle with a lot, like in, in that particular activity of trying to write a book with a big publisher, I could easily self-publish my third book. I know that I, I could have written it already, but at the over the last couple of months, what I've been doing is writing a prospect with somebody who helps me write prospects so that then I can eventually write a sample chapter so that then I can eventually write the book maybe. Like the, it's- what's
1: driving that for you since you've done it twice? So for me, I'll share my reason that I went to through an agent is it was truly imposter syndrome, and I needed someone else to validate yes. that I could do this. Interesting. That's where it came from. What, so, but you've done it before. What's driving that?
0: For it's you? always imposter syndrome as well. That's always an under, undercurrent to everything I do. But in this case, it was really the curiosity of doing it in a different way. I just wanted to. For, maybe that's the most selfish thing in the in in everything I've done. But I wanted to see my book at an airport somewhere. That's that's. You know, We're all driven by ego, <laughs> but it, but it's like, I, I knew that self-publishing, I would never be able to get it there unless I, I just take one with me and put it into the store at the airport, but then, you know that,
1: doing, that for each other? <laughs> doing
0: it for the gram and for my friends. But it's, it's really, that's, that's the, one of the reasons is I wanted to give this more reach because I, I feel yeah. like I'm, I want to write about building in public. That's the, yeah. the big the topic of what I, what I'm thinking about. And I want this to be a, a thing that is not just in our niche. I, I want to go broad in the sense. Sense of I want to like teach entrepreneurs and creators of all kinds, not just indie hackers, not just people from a little software-enabled yeah. startup world, but anybody who has something to do. I want to allow them to do it with other people and in public, like step by step.
1: I love that.
0: So that, that the idea is for that topic in particular, mm-hmm. I wanted it to have more reach and I wanted to get my book at airports. Yep. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. It's funny because So when I was at The Knot, they had this, like, external coaching agency come in, and they made us do this self-assessment, and it was this, like, all-day thing, and then the next day, they came back with your results, and it was a personal needs, like, what do you need to feel motivated at work? And there were only two of us that had attention as, like, the biggest one, and I felt so much shame. I was like, oh, my God, that seems so icky, and the, the person helped reframe it because they were like, this is just information about how your internal wiring is is composed to motivate you. And I, she was like, if you go to a workout class, when they say, like, keep it up, does that, like, keep you going? And I'm like, yes. Like, when <laughs> someone in a meeting is like, well, Amanda had this idea, I light up. You know, every part of me is like, yeah, I did, I did, and I'll make eighteen more. Like, what do you need me to do? So it's not a bad thing, and I think there's a lot of shame in like saying, like, yeah, I'd love to see my book in Barnes and Noble. I like, I'm doing it because I want to see my daughters in Barnes and Noble with my like going and finding my book. Yeah, it was really cute when I signed the contract with the agent. I had my my oldest like click send, and I was like, (laughs) writing a book. But yeah, like the, it's, there's nothing wrong with saying
0: that. Yeah. I think attention is just the, the flip side of validation too, right? Like you want validation because that is something we all seek in, in all yeah. kinds of things. right? And personal lives, professional lives and all that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with this because to, honestly, I think it's highly motivational to just be consistent. I, I remember the first day I had my first subscriber on my newsletter and I knew, I guess I'm going to do this forever now because this person wants to read my stuff, right?
1: Exactly. It's- <laughs> One, it takes one email. And I say this to everybody that emails me. I'm like, this email keeps me going because it does. Like the fact that they read something and took the moment to like reply and say, I'm going to incorporate this or this meant so much or this was so timely. That's all I need to keep going.
0: Yeah, I've seen you share several of these over the last couple of weeks uh, on on Twitter as well, which is really cool to see. I'm so happy. I, like, I'm happy this is happening for you. Like that you are getting the attention you very much deserve with your newsletter, and that what you talk about in the newsletter is also um, not not just inspirational, but but actually life changing for people. That it l- literally flips the switch for the, allowing them to make make significant changes. And I think what you've been talking about recently taking breaks in particular Mm -hmm. is a a topic that I have been just yelling at people with like just over the last couple of years, having been through burnout multiple times and having suffered a lot at the hands of my own mental health, you know, yeah, uh, which, uh, and taking breaks such an important thing. I would love to hear your perspective on, are we taking enough breaks? (laughs) Should we maybe take more? Are we doing it right? Maybe that's the more interesting question.
1: So I think let's talk about that last piece. Like, when people burn out, they think, well, I just need to sleep more. And I I, I wrote about this where <clears throat> I was really burnt out when I had <clears throat> my three kids and I was, you know, working full time. I had a team of 50 people. And so I just was like, I just need to go to bed earlier. 8.30 turned into 8 p.m. And I just still never could catch up. So that sparked the like, well, what do I need to do here? And so I wrote about there's lots of different forms of rest. There's physical rest, there's mental rest, there's emotional rest, there's social rest, there's creative rest, there's lots of different types of rest. And if we don't get all of those in a a different aspect and in different quantities, you're not fully rested. And so I think it's important to figure out what that looks like for you in in both the micro and the macro parts of your life. And so I always start at the macro level. I say, okay, this year I need to take one solo trip. That is always like my first go-to because solo trips give me a lot of different forms of rest, creative rest, emotional rest. I'll put my phone away. So there's a lot there. Um, but then in in the micro, like, How do you create space for social and in your week and social rest? People are like, well, that's just getting away from people. It's like, no, it actually means the opposite. It means going and being around somebody that fills you up and fills your cup and you leave feeling like we all know when you walk away from a conversation, you either feel like pumped or depleted and social rest is about putting boundaries on the form on the latter and spending time with the former. So I don't think it's like self care and all this stuff has, has become these like buzzy hot words. But for me, it's really about, are you hitting these different aspects that you probably don't realize you need?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I have, I have many questions now because like, all of these things uh, raised a couple of just memories from my from my own experience. But do you think it's different between people who are like highly introverted versus the more extroverted type?
1: I think that the the same seven still apply. Um, how you get them might change, right? It's just like any objective you make an objective and measure that objective with a key result like an okr but then you can come up with 30 different tactics to achieve that and and so depending on your personality like let's talk creative rest for example creative rest is really centered around what is allowing you to stop doing the job you get paid for to perform and you're doing something else to an extrovert, that might mean going to take a pottery class or, you know, doing going to an art gallery and, and exploring and taking a tour of something. To an introvert, that might mean a puzzle or doing a Lego set. But it's still saying no to the thing that you have to do and, and allowing space for something. And, and there's a really interesting fact that if you struggle to solve a problem, like if you're stuck on something... Solving a different problem will unlock different parts of your brain that allows you to then go back and think of this in a different way. And so that's what creative rest is, is like, I'm a big Lego girl. Like I love a Lego set. And for me, like I have one going almost all the time because that is like, I, you need both of your hands. You need your brain. If you miss a step, you're fucked. Like you need to like be focused. So I think it's, there's lots of ways to achieve the types of rest.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that perspective. It, it does remind me of um, Julia Cameron's Artist Way and the the, the <laughs> kind of artist state that she talks about in there, which I've. Uh, I've tried many, many times in many different ways, and I think the the most enjoyable ones has always been going to bookstores and just browsing. You mm. know, back back in the day when we could still go outside without fear of death, that was a good good old days. Okay. But you know, that that's that is my my way of doing this. And I I mean I'm a miniature painter, so I'm I'm pretty close to the Lego world in terms of just like tiny fiddly things that oh, I that yeah. craft and stuff. You should see like the the space behind this studio here is just all crafting gear. So oh, I, that's fun. I I can I can. Can go there and just you know dive into not working like within four seconds which is why i i built the studio in the basement so i have everything yeah. nearby it's it's important for me probably one of the most important kinds of rest because i don't get much like sleep rest because my puppy tells me when i get up every morning you know that's and and you kids uh do a very similar thing maybe even more intensely because there's a lot of more responsibility there but creative rest i don't is know my level.
1: partner has a dog and i'm pretty convinced the dog is more work than the kids because (laughs) kids when they go to bed, they stay in their bed mine are old enough, but the dog gets up and I'm like, is it going to pee somewhere? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: They can talk, right? That's the big problem. They can tell you what they need. Can only look at you and whine. Yeah. Ah, love my puppy. But it it is it, it's been a different life, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like the ever ever since we got a puppy and she's now a year and a half old, like my life has changed in many different ways, yeah. right? Like dependency, a dependency like this is is a pretty pretty huge impact on just the way I can structure my own life.
1: But it's such a cool thing when your life which was so I'll speak for myself, myopically focused on myself yeah, and my needs right. and my stress. Yeah. And now all of a sudden my lens has shifted and it's opened up to care about these other people's lives. And, and it's so freeing because we spend so much time thinking about like our stuff and we get so caught up in it. And now I'm like, Oh, now I have to like deal with three other people's lives and they're like, what's causing them stress. And it's kind of freeing for me.
0: I I really enjoy that perspective. Like hearing, hearing you tell me this and I, I've, just witnessed the exact same thing last week. Like, I've been spending the, the whole of last week in Toronto, like where my girlfriend works, and we took the puppy over. So I was just there in her tiny little apartment with the puppy, and I took the whole week off pretty much from work. Mm-hmm. The only thing I did was like put up a camera, put up a microphone and record like 20 minutes or 29 minutes of my podcast, which I still yeah. needed to do because consistency is is, course, is important. Course. But everything else that week, I just didn't do much more than that. I just hung out with the dog, waited for Danielle to come home, like hang, hang out with her and visit her at work, you know, just spend yep. time with other people and other living beings. And it probably was one of the most refreshing and enjoyable things that I've done in a long while. Yeah. Like not thinking about myself and my Twitter following and my work and my book for a while was really, really freeing.
1: And so now like the the fact that that you uncovered that, that that was so recharging, now you start to think through, okay, how do I, can I do that every quarter? How does that look every month? What is the version of that that actually comes into my every day? And for me, it's like, that's the, the start of non-negotiables, right? That's, you, you, you become aware. So for me, like, I know that being active on social media can sometimes like cause my anxiety to go up because you feel this, I me, mean, as a creator, you feel like you everyone is allowed access to you. and And when someone responds or retweets my stuff or provides like thoughtful response, I want to respond. Like I'm so grateful that they are supporting me and engaging in my my conversation. But there's also like you're one person and being on all the time. And so my non-negotiable, once I realized that I had some breaking points, And I would take, I would do like a social media detox. Earlier this year, I went on this like female founder investor trip. We went to Italy and we had to, they took our phones and it was like, it was a lot more intense than we thought it was going to be. It was like, she would wake us up with a gong at five in the morning and we had to go straight to this like, like kind of temple-y chapel thing. And we had to do like two hours of morning yoga and meditation. It was pretty intense. And so I remember being like, that was the extreme version, but I felt so good afterwards that I needed to, what's the day-to-day non-negotiable? And so I do a walk in the afternoon where I do not look at my phone, and it's an hour and a half where I'm just like, the world shuts off. And that's kind of my little little non-negotiable way that I fulfill that need.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) Walks. I have two every day. Because I have this little being that needs yeah. to be walked around, and and that has changed my life too. Like for health reasons to begin with, and yeah. it's it's nice to be able to incorporate this. Um, it's it, I don't get seven days a week with the puppy. You know that's just not the normal life. But having mm-hmm. a little bit of that every day, that's kind of how how I see this in my own life. That is really cool. That that retreat, phoneless, very yoga and meditation heavy retreat. That must have been fun.
1: It was crazy. We thought we were going to go drink wine and
0: like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, Italy, right?
1: And then we got there and we are like, oh, and like after there was – it was all very healthy eating. It was no alcohol for the first four days. And like at night, we would do like – after dinner, it would be like digestive flow yoga and then it would do sound baths. And it was crazy because when you do a sound bath for like over an hour – you feel like you're on drugs. Like your brain is going to different places. And I remember being like, what is happening? But I was just so present that you could be aware of what was coming up. And I was like, oh, I I had never done anything to that extent of like spiritual, you know, call it whatever you want. But um, it was pretty powerful.
0: Yeah, that that certainly sounds that uh, that way. Do, do you think there could be like too much of that in a in like a normal day? Like could you over yes. overstimulate? I'm not a
1: meditator. Like I everybody that's like get up in the morning and meditate. I can't do it. I I have now just accepted that active meditation for me um I talked about like in one of my newsletters the idea of being bored and how what does bo- that actually look like and how do you achieve that and part of it is uh, doing something that you your brain doesn't have to activate so I take the same walking path every single day and that allows my brain like it doesn't have to think about anything and that I've just accepted that that's my active form of meditation. How do you get the least amount of stimulus? So I think we're just we live in a very like binary culture. I tweeted recently, like, you know, we we went from like girl boss era to like healthy girl era, where it was like you have to like, you know, work all the time and hustle and do all this stuff. And then we swung this pendulum. It's like meditation, no alcohol, ice baths. (laughs)
0: Right. That was extreme.
1: Yeah. Every extreme and the the through line of both of those things is shame and prescribing like one way to live a life with no fluidity and gray area. And it's like, OK, what does what does meditation do? OK, it allows your brain to like decompress and for you to like reduce stimulus from your external environment. There's lots of ways that you could do that. So I'm I'm trying to like allow people permission to operate kind of in the gray.
0: I think that's a very valuable approach to this. Like one thing that I truly, truly dislike about our culture, as you just mentioned, is the whole grindset. Uh, attitude the uh, the hustle culture thing and the other extreme which is just people telling you what other thing to do to live your life perfectly right, right. It's, it's always it's always people pushing hustle.
1: you should totally ice bath you should totally <laughs> be meditating it's like you're also stressing me out yeah
0: that's right yeah that that's the thing it's it's just a mass a massive amount of pressure either way You're not living your life to the fullest, whatever that may mean. It it, it means something different today than it did 10 years ago, but it's still either you do that or you're doing something wrong. And I I don't Uh, like that. But
1: going back to what we talked about in the beginning, which is people are searching for a solution. And so, why are there all these content creators? And why can't I just write a book that's like, you're fine? You like that's a great title.
0: That's your title. You're fine.
1: You can't, and so people are looking for solutions to problems that they have. They're stressed. They're anxious. They and they are wanting someone to tell them what to do. And I think it's knowing that there's no one way to live your life, and you need to absorb information to the extent that you find what works for you, and then everything else gets shut off.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that is probably the hardest to learn is uh, that th- there is really no advice that will always be perfectly applicable to your life, yeah. right? And that's that's something that I, I do want to talk to you about as well because uh, first off, you are now a person that is, just by your mere presence and in your audience and building the things that you're building, you're giving advice to people, either mm-hmm. willingly, consciously, in, in the way you write or just by acting the way you do and um i I do wonder like how much of that is intentional like do you sometimes think about like what your impact on other people is and maybe in in, in obviously in the best possible ways, but maybe also in how you can be misunderstood? That's something I struggle with this is why I'm asking this right like how sure. how can do you make sure you're not misunderstood like how do you deal with that
1: you you can't when you're online and and I was not prepared for that. Like, I am a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) I have a high need to be liked, and I'm very aware of that. And I've had to really work on that because at the end of the day, like I said, like, how I talk about life and how I approach something will rub people the wrong way. And that is not my intention. And so the biggest piece of advice, like, I mean, everyone gets bashed on Twitter specifically at some point when you grow. It's like you're, you know, you're hitting a hockey stick right. when someone hates you. Right. And I was not prepared for that. And I remember I took it really hard. And it was, it really rocked me when I had people kind of like, it's a pile on effect. There's an amazing uh, TV show called Brainchild. It's on Netflix. It's it's geared towards kids, but they do an experiment, and I had my I watched it with my children, where they put kids in two different rooms, and they showed them the same video of a girl singing, and she was not a good singer, and they had one group say, "Hey, you're going to give anonymous feedback. She will never know, um, but give your real feedback, right?" Then the second room, they said, hey, she's going to come in. We're going to have you give feedback. Write down what you're going to say to her, right? And of course, the people who didn't think they'd have to say it to her face bashed her. And the other people said constructive things like, you might want to work on your tone. And And so when this happened, I luckily had a support system that was – they took me – is a group of people in Miami and I'm so thankful for them. My friend Kenny and Devin, and they, they literally said, we're going out to dinner and at dinner, they're like, we know who you are. We know your heart and what your intention is. So remember that this is what's important when this happens. And I think if you're going into the creator sphere, you have to make sure that you have that group of people for those days that, people will come after you and it just rocks you.
0: Yeah, that, that is wonderful. It's wonderful that you have those people for, to begin with and that they reminded you that you have those people. You know, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's their job as a friend and as a, as a supporter and motivator. You said something along the lines of uh, recently, I think, um, it's, it's very important to understand like who you are giving access to yourself and mm-hmm. who you should stop giving access to yourself as well right how do you live that on twitter as your audience is growing
1: well first i'll say like look we all have different parts of our personality right if you break me open you've got all of these facets and i think it's interesting as my time on social media has evolved which ones i lead with and which ones i allow more access to and And that's an evolving thing that I would empower everyone to kind of sit down and say, okay, you've got this part of your life, this part of your life. You've got all these different identities. Which ones do you want people to to have access to? And then as you're doing that, empower yourself to change. Like I used to allow people access to my dating life because part of my company was a sexual health and wellness company so I was like I'm a single mom I'm dating and then I realized like I can change that and I can say how much I'm going to allow and so people know I'm in a relationship and and if they follow me on Instagram maybe he appears in a picture or two but like there's a lot of things over the past year that I did not allow access to as I was living my life and learning and growing. And that's okay. It's okay to change. Yeah.
0: Boundaries are the, most important thing like when when you build an audience but just when you're present on social media to begin with even if you don't have any aspirations to build an audience boundaries and deciding which what lies in within them clearly within them what lies clearly without them and what's kind of on the cusp that is that is a, a massively important thing yeah I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about how you balance this because you have a lot of personal things that you share but you yeah. also have private things that I don't think you share <laughs> which is you know they're absent so I I wonder how you define this but from what i hear you say this it's just just like you you have a pretty clear boundary for those things right
1: my therapist has been very i mean she's amazing and she has this tool that she's had me use where am i using social media as a diary or to help teach a lesson or share a lesson and that the the latter requires thought and introspection and, and articulation in a way that you're delivering a certain message. The former is just word vomit. <laughs> right. And that has been the biggest differentiator for me. Like what am I sharing on social media, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, how much space went from thought to clicking posts. And truly like, I have found that <clears throat> my, ma- more regretful content that I've shared, that time is a lot shorter. So I've just given myself more space to say, okay, there's something that I might wanna share. Let me sit with it and really think about what's the purpose of me sharing this and where is it coming from? Is it because I'm actually insecure about this thing that I'm doing and I'm seeking validation? That's not a good reason to share um is it because i'm proud of this decision i've made and i'm excited to share why i've made it that's a better position to be in
0: okay so you're riding the wave of the thought for a couple minutes yeah. and then you see if that works for you that i think like out of all the frameworks of just like doing sane stuff in in my life riding the wave has been one of the most effective ones like yep. can i sit with this for 5 minutes and still want it Great idea. Great. And and wonderful for somebody building in public to have a kind of intentionality measurement tool like that. Like, do I really want this? Is this really right. something I want to share? Uh, that is really helpful. Thank you for sharing this. That yeah. is extremely valuable. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Man, um, I, I'm thinking about Twitter right now um, because that is a platform that we're both very active on, mm-hmm. and it's um, let's just call it a, a very volatile situation. Um, I do wonder. You've been talking about this in the last couple of weeks too, or you, you've, you've asked people what they think about Twitter and the recent changes, yeah. and to you know that uh, co- um, the compensation, the ad revenue share, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, as we've been talking about authenticity and, um, you know, sharing things that are meant to teach and, and support and help. What do you think of the most recent and I guess at this point now for over a year, pretty weird changes to the platform that have happened? Like, how, do you still feel at home on Twitter the same way you did a couple of years ago, maybe?
1: I'll say yes. <laughs> okay. For this reason. When you do a really good job of curating your lists and your who you follow and you block. Now, granted, we don't know if the block feature will be there. But right. when you block quickly and mute quickly, Twitter's still like you and I met on Twitter. And there are still incredible people who have great intentions that you can learn a lot from. And there's no other platform that I feel is like it. And the way I think of Twitter, I'm a visual person. It's like I'm standing in a field with literally every investor and every, you know, big founder and all these cool creators. And I'm standing in a field and I can walk right up to them and say something to them. Mm -hmm. How cool is that? (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's right
1: so it's just this thing that like there is a magic to it that i don't think is going anywhere now like a couple things have happened to me recently that shook me to my core as a creator i got hacked i lost someone got into my twitter and took over kicked me out removed me i had you know two-factor authentication all the things and they started scamming people which First and foremost, like, the thing that hurt the most was, like, they were using my children as, like, the hook to get people to fall for the scam. They were literally saying, like, I'm so sorry. Because I got to see the DMs when I got it back. And it was, like, I'm so sorry to ask. Like, I need money for my kids. And because, like, I think people feel connected to me, they were, like, "Uh, okay, of course. And luckily, some people saw when it was, like, a U.K., Address, like they were like, wait a second, this feels weird. But that was the first part that I was just like, I felt so icky. And then the second thing was, holy shit, I don't own my audience. And that was my wake up call where I was like, newsletter, I need to diversify. I need to make sure LinkedIn, I'm thinking about a podcast. Like, I've got to figure out ways that I can connect with people that's not just one platform. So I definitely have had positive and negative thoughts. And it's more just now a holistic view of how I'm going to build my brand.
0: Yeah, that hack, that must have been scary. Like you,
1: It was so, va- like, you feel like someone just came into your life. And then you're like, what do they see? What do they have access yeah. to? And also, how did they get it? And then I fell down all the rabbit holes of how this is happening more and more. And so if you don't have an authenticator app, get one now and also like make sure that you change your SIM card and all this stuff. Like I went through everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing this. That must've been quite traumatic. And, uh, as, as, uh, unhappy as that event is i think the consequence that you understood two things i mean the one thing is really great that you have people in your audience that really really like you and want to help you that is a great learning from this right to know that they would jump to your rescue if you needed them that is just the most wonderful thing but on the other hand that's
1: like the amazing part of social media is the depth of connection when you share authentically about what you learn and, and who you are and what you're struggling with like I will never be the creator that's going to be like, I have it all buttoned up and perfect. And this is exactly how you should do it. I will always be like, guys, I quit my job and
0: I'm
1: scared. (laughs) I want to figure it out. But like, I want people to be like, okay, I can, let's do this together. Yes.
0: Well, I, I hope you stay that way forever and <laughs> never change. <laughs> well, I mean, you, I'm
1: getting close to 40. I don't
0: know <laughs> if I will. <laughs> no, change any way you like. I think that is part of the journey that you're on that is so interesting to watch as well. I guess somebody on the sideline cheering you on. And um, let's just, let's close with this because this I think is the, the perfect opportunity for, for you to tell people where they can find you and where they can become part of your journey. Hopefully to creator stardom even more than you already mm-hmm. are.
1: You're so sweet. Um, Well, you know, we're all chatting on Twitter if you're active there. But like I said, the main way to connect with me, I respond to every email. So go to amandagets.com and sign up for the newsletter. It's called Life's a Game. And yeah, would love to hear from people what they're dealing with in terms of balancing ambition and hustle culture, because I think we all want to Build things and do something cool, but not at the expense of the rest of our relationships, our lives. So, yeah, that's where you could find me.
0: That is uh, definitely a recommendation if you want to be a full human being and not just like a shadow of some entrepreneurial advice you read on a blog, you should follow Amanda and read her (laughs) newsletter because that is going to help you out. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I had a wonderful time chatting So
1: good to chat.
0: For sure. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Now, we all want to build businesses that are valuable, right? No matter if it's a SaaS business, a media business, creator business, whatever it is, but at some point we might hit a certain ceiling. And this is where our sponsor comes in, acquire.com. Imagine this, you're a founder who's built a solid SaaS product acquired customers, and is generating consistent monthly revenue. The problem is you're not growing for whatever reason. Could be lack of focus or lack of skill or just plain lack of interest. There are many different reasons, but all of them lead to you feeling stuck. So what should you do? The story that I would like to hear at this point is that you just buckled down and reignited the fire, got past the cliches, started working on the business rather than just in the business. Right? You start building this audience you always wanted to build and move out of your comfort zone to do sales and marketing like you've never done it before and half a year later you tripled your revenue. Wouldn't that be a great story? Well, reality is not that simple. This situation is different for every single founder who's facing this crossroad. Too many times, though, the story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the business becomes less valuable or worse, worthless. So if you find yourself here or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I offer you a third option. Consider selling your business on Acquire.com. Capitalizing on the value of your time today is the smart move. Acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. So just go to try.acquire.com/arvid and see if this is for you right now, if it's a good option for your business and your time at this very point. Thank you so much for listening to The Boots of Founder, episode 250. You can find me on Twitter at avidkal, A R V You'll find my books and my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me and this show to go for another 250 episodes, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and get the podcast in your podcast player of choice. And if you can, please leave a five-star rating and a good review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. I would really appreciate that because it just makes all the difference to put this show in front of more people. Any of this will help the show. So thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.